Hey everyone, it's Matt. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about two live events I have coming up in the next month where I would love to see you. The first is June 17th to 19th. It's called the Remedy Food Project and it's in Toronto, Canada, where I'm really excited to go because I hear such great things about it as a vegan-friendly city. And another reason I'm really excited about this event is the speaker lineup. It's by far the best I've ever been a part of. Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Garth Davis, Chef AJ, Dr. Tom Campbell, Dr. Richard Oppenlander, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn Jr., Dr. Robert Osfeld, Dr. Michael Greger, Jane Esselstyn, Lindsay Nixon, me, Doug McNish, Doug Lyle, Brenda Davis, John Pierre, and Jason Robel. That is a great lineup. It's one I'm really excited to be a part of, and I hope you will consider joining me there in Toronto. If you decide to come June 17th to 19th, it's at remedyfood.org, and you can save 20% off the price of a ticket by using my code no Meat Athlete. Also, if you come to that one, let me know. Send me an email at matt at nomeatathlete.com, and I will send you a cool package of some past videos from this event, as well as my Wake Up 31 Days in Actions to Take Charge of Your Life ebook. Hope to see you there. The other event, immediately following that one, June 20th to 24th at the Stanford Inn by the Sea in Mendocino, California, is one I'm doing with Sid Garza Hillman, my friend from Health Made Simple. It's a vegan running retreat where we're going to be there for four days, hanging out, doing yoga, listening to talks. Included is a four-night stay at the Stanford Inn Vegan Eco Resort, breakfast and dinners at their award-winning Raven's Restaurant, eight runs with me and Sid, a healthy living class with Sid himself, a running talk with me, three private yoga classes, and a welcome gift. All of it can be yours at a 10% discount if you use your code NOMEATATHLETE. If you'd like to join me and sit at this one, it's nomeatathlete.com slash retreat, and don't forget to use the code NOMEATATHLETE to save 10%. Hope to see you at one of these events. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 147 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay. And Doug, last time I talked to you, you were feeling a little bit under the weather, had some poison ivy, all kinds of the typical post-100 miler experience for you. <laughs> yeah, I uh, am still feeling that way. I've, I've really struggled. I got this head cold a couple days after the 100 miler. I think my immune system just went totally shot, was totally shot, and had a head cold and still poison ivy is popping up on the legs. Thankfully, mostly below the knees. If you have listened to the last episode where we talked about poison ivy, I haven't had the same experience this time. So that's good. <laughs> that is really good. Uh, that that was a disaster. and <laughs> it, was, it was a bona fide disaster. I would, I would say. <laughs> it was. It, it turned your life upside down for a few weeks. It did. Uh, if anyone wants to listen to that, just scroll through our, our episodes on iTunes and look for the one that's marked uh, with the explicit <laughs> tag, explicit lyrics or whatever, but isn't Russell Simmons' interview. That one was also, but so was this this story about Doug's last Poison Ivy experience. Um, yeah, so that's good. I, the For me, that, that's that been part of the experience of pretty almost every ultra I've done, not all of them, but close, uh, have I gotten sick in the week following it. And it never really happened with marathons, I, not that I noticed anyway, but something about... I guess those extra hours out there uh, just just really does take away from your ability to fight fight off sickness for the next week or so. It yeah, seems. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I guess you're putting your body through quite a bit of stress and uh, sleep deprivation and all yeah. that stuff. Sure, and I think I think exercise in general uh, is known to help your immune system overall, but in the in the short period following a hard workout, especially something like an ultra marathon, uh, you clearly are more susceptible. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're talking about that today. We're going to talk about your race because 
uh, first of all, it was your third 100-mile race. You did uh, your second 100-mile race was technically a 24-hour race, but you finished more than 100 with more than 100 miles and happened to win that race, which was awesome. Yep. Uh, can you tell us all, Doug, that you won this time? Did you bring home the victory for the No Mean Athlete Radio audience? <laughs> You know, after after the Mendocino 50K, when you gave me such a hard time, I really wanted that victory, but unfortunately, I did not. I was I came in in 12th place, which I was uh, felt really good about. And actually, you know, someone on Instagram pointed out the first thing they did when they when I posted that uh, finish line photo was that how disappointed you'd be in me for not having won the race. <laughs> how many how many uh, finishers were there? Uh, yeah, somewhere around like 50 something. Okay. So. Well, a little disappointing, I guess, 12th place, but what are you going to do? <laughs> and there was, there was like a 50% um, drop rate, too. So, okay. If you think about. If you so, think you about were top, roughly the top 10% of all starters of the race. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Just just mildly disappointing, but decent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. That's, that is awesome. Uh, I've never finished anything like that in, in an ultramarathon of any kind. Um, so, I am impressed. And it's cool that this one went so well. I mean, it, it seemed from my perspective. Like, I don't know. I mean, the first one was the first one. It's just, it's just, you don't know what's going to happen. And you, you did well, of course, in your first one. But um, it kind of feels like, I don't know, to me, like you kind of got the hang of this one. Like you told me a couple weeks before, you're like, oh, I'm doing this 100 coming up. And it was like, you know, I hadn't really noticed that it's not like you were talking about it all the time or, or <laughs> preparing. I mean, I'm sure you were preparing, but uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't taking over your life, at least from my perspective. So it seems like you kind of have, have this distance under, under control now. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm getting there for sure. It's it's a distance that you I don't know if you ever really have under control, um, but I you know I'm certainly getting a better hang of it, and and I have learned from that. You know, that first one was really all about finishing. It took me 32 hours to do it, uh, which you know this time it took me 24 hours and 50 minutes. So that's you know that's um, that's over seven hours more uh, to finish that first one. Right, and then. The second one, the 24-hour race, I did cover 100 over 100 miles, but uh, it was a very contained race where you did a three a 5k loop uh, for 24 hours. So you had aid and you had everything just right there at all times. Uh, and this was this was back to another mountain race. I had a, quite a bit of elevation uh, change and um, a lot more river crossings and things that uh, were closer to the first race than than that 24-hour race. Um, and and things really came together. I felt training. You know, I, I was able to really put a or take a grasp, a good hold of training and uh, getting prepared the last, the final few days. And it all kind of came together on race day. Yeah. So that's, that's what we want to talk about. What, uh, what in particular did, did go so well? And was it, was it just kind of fortunate circumstances? I mean, I know you said it was kind of rainy, but it ended up being okay. Cause you, you kind of hit the, hit the aid stations at the right spots and, and yeah. got to change shoes right after it stopped raining. Um, and how much, you know, was, was due to just experience and preparation. So let's, uh, let's just dive in there. I know you told me you've got like four main things that you wanted to, to bring up in this one. So let's, uh, let's get started. What, what do you think was the, was the biggest one? Well, I think the, the, the first one, uh, I don't know if this was really the biggest, but the first one was, was being prepared for the actual race. And, and I don't mean physically prepared. Of course, everyone is going to go through training and, or hopefully go through proper training and, and get the miles in and that kind of thing. But what I've noticed with a lot of people, especially ultra runners, it seems, is that you know planning isn't really their you know their strong suit, <laughs> and so they haven't completely thought through gear. They haven't completely thought through what foods they're going to eat, um, where their crew needs to be at the at the right times, and and that kind of thing. And and what I've found is that the more prepared I can be, the more um, 
I can have all my gear listed out and laid out and um, have maps for my crew and uh, checklists of things that they need to do when they see me. Uh, the more at ease I can be and the more relaxed I can be going into an aid station because I know that everything is going to be right there. I know that everyone is going to be where they need to be and have what they need to have. And, and I can just get in and get out and continue moving forward without having to worry about you know whether the gear is going to be in the right place or uh, what food they're going to have prepared for me. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's clearly a huge part of this and pr- pretty unique to the 100-mile distance. I mean, I guess there's some crew stuff with 50-milers, but uh, not not to this extent. Did you do um, did you do the, the sheets thing where you print off the, the sheets and, and have all the, you know, oh, yeah. tell them what to expect? And I don't know if that – I don't think that was my idea. I think I think that came from uh, Relentless Forward Progress, Brian Powell's book. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, those have been really useful. And if someone wants to see one, on, I don't know if, Doug, you have any uploaded, but I, on my 100-mile race recap – um, which we can link to in the show notes, there's a link to like the actual one of the sheets and you can kind of just see what sort of things were on there. And that was, that was really helpful. Those, those sorts of yeah, things. The crew sheets, the crew sheets at the hundred mile distance or anytime you have a crew that's really following you around and, and a big part of your race. Um, that's just incredibly helpful. You know, and the other thing with preparedness is it, you know, walking through the race ahead of time in your head. And, and I, I really believe that this is a, an important thing to do is is take out the course map um, and kind of with your finger or with a pen trace over the trace over the the course map and and think through where you're going to be at different times. If you know if it's a hundred miler, whether you're going to be dealing with darkness or even a fifty miler, where you're going to be starting in the dark, um, you know, pinpoint where it is that the lights, you know, that <laughs> that the sun's going to come up, where you think you're going to be. Um, or where the major hills are, where the major climbs are. And if you can trace through it and think through the entire experience in your head, then you're going to, you're just going to know more what to expect more and be in a better headspace when those challenges do come. Of course, you can never, unless you know the course really well, you're never going to know exactly what the trail is going to look like or, or how steep the, the climb is going to be. Um, but for me anyway, walking through the entire race, I did this three or four times leading up to the actual race put me in a much better headspace to expect uh, the climbs when they came and the river crossings when they came and, and that kind of thing. And, and as you said, that was something that you did differently than before. Like, did you, did you not do that before or did you just feel like now you kind of had a better sense for, for, yeah, no, I've, n- I've never done it like that before. You know, I've, I've certainly walked through the, through the course before um, and thought through the race, but never really mapped out um, when, it's going to become dark when it's when the sun's going to come up. Uh, exactly, you know. I never thought through. All right, so I'll be at this point at three a.m. and I know that at three a.m. I'm probably going to be feeling like crap. Um, so what can I do at this point to really make sure that I'm I'm feeling better? Uh, right. Or, right. Uh, you know. So so and I did that several times uh, that final week before the race and and those final preparations I really do believe um, put me in a better headspace on race day. Cool. Uh, you, this may, may be part of your, part of the other ones. Um, but you, you said, you told me that the end was really, it kind of all came together and that you passed a bunch of people at the end and like really finished stronger than you ever had before. Yeah. I mean, somewhat incredibly, the last marathon, the last 25, 26 miles were actually some of my fastest and, and strongest of the entire race, which, uh, completely took me by surprise. Uh, and I think my pacer too, because I was, I was he was, uh, struggling a little bit to keep up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but but 
everything kind of came together in the end uh, in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And I think that that kind of actually leads into the my second point here, um, which was to take care of every little thing as soon as it starts, before it becomes an issue. Mm, okay. um, and, and that's something I have not done in the past. I've, I've dealt with a lot of foot issues. I've dealt with a lot of chafing issues in, in previous ultramarathons, you know, even 50Ks and, and 50 milers. Um, but especially during that, during the 24 hour race last year, mm-hmm. I just had an incredible amount of chafing issues. Um, and, and that was because I wasn't very vigilant about taking care of them before they became a problem. And, and as I was running really well late in the race, I was thinking to myself like, wow, I'm not having all these issues and I'm passing people who I can clearly see are having similar issues, whether that be nutrition or, or foot issues or, or, or something else. Um, and I really think that I think that that was because I was I was so vigilant throughout the entire race, and it, it sometimes it felt a little silly to to pull out um, a stick of, of body glide and or, or you know lube um, every every like three miles. Uh, but after during that rain, I could I could feel that things were happening, and and if I wasn't careful, then it would become an issue. Um, but because I was so vigilant, because I was on top of it the whole time, um, it ended up not ever becoming anything that that slowed me down. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's a really good point and one, uh, I, you know, that should be obvious, but I don't think it necessarily is. I mean, I, you know, when someone is first running a marathon, like, I think I think they, the that idea is there, right? Because it's it's the first time doing such a long thing and you start to think like, well, I'm, I better have exactly the right shirt, exactly the right shorts, like have mm-hmm. the body, just all that stuff because something over the course of 26 miles, which seems like a really long time, uh, you know, and any kind of chafing is going to become something something much worse. So I think when you when you think about that in terms of twenty four or a hundred miles, um, which of course is four times longer, but is going to take you much longer six, seven, eight times longer than a marathon will. Right. Um, I think that's you know much much more true, of course. So I really like that. I think it's uh, when I was running mine, one of the things I kept trying to remember, and this this really wasn't having to do with that, just having to do with pace, uh, is I just kept telling myself at it was like I don't know eight or nine in the morning. I kept reminding myself that I'm going to still be out here tomorrow at this time or pretty close to it. Like I'm still, it's going to, daylight is going to come up. It's going to be a new morning and I'm still going to be running. And just telling myself that over and over really kept me going slow. Like it just, it just helped me to, um, you know, be okay with running what felt like a little bit too slow, like a little bit too conservative because just, you're going to be out here again tomorrow morning. You're still going to be out here. It it just was kind of a scary enough thought that like it it made me slow down. So I think that's a really good thing with with what you're saying. Like when it it kind of does probably feel silly to stop and fix something or apply body glide or you know apply tape or whatever's got to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it feels like a waste of five minutes or or losing your momentum. But you know, it, it, like if something goes wrong at mile seventy and you, and the last those last thirty miles are have to be done in complete misery due to some sort of chafing or something. I mean, they're going to cost you so much more than five minutes, right? Might, you know, might cost you five hours, um, or, or cause you to not finish at all. So I think that's, that's a really important point. Yeah. And if I, if I do another hundred or when I do, I think probably one day, will. uh, that will be something that I will focus on. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you're feeling good and when you're moving well and you you start to feel a little bit of a hot spot or maybe you feel a little bit of something in your shoe, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is stop, you know, the last thing you want to, to do is take off your shoe and change your socks or something like that. Um, because you're moving well, but 
you know, but if you don't, then it will become a bigger issue. And, and that bigger issue can, can like you said, uh, cause way more or, or cause you to lose way more time than if you would have just stopped and taken care of it in the beginning. Yeah. And I think for people who aren't running a hundred mile, but like a 50 mile or even a 50 K, uh, the same idea applies when, sure. when you give the advice to like walk hills from the very beginning of the race, especially if it's your first one. Uh, I mean, if you're trying to win your 50 K, then that, that advice is not good. I mean, you shouldn't necessarily <laughs> walk up the hills, but someone like me who, you know, my first 50 miler and all of my 50 milers really, um, I've made that a rule. Like from the beginning, I will walk every single hill until I get to a point when it's clear that I'm going to finish. And if I really want to run hills at that point, then, then fine. But mm-hmm. you know, so like, it's one of those things where like you, it just feels so silly. Your, your momentum's happening and you hit this, hit this small hill. And it's like, do I really have to stop and walk now? Um, but once you've been through just a couple disasters sort of races where you just hit, you know, you're, you're 60% done and you're just, you feel like you can't go anymore. Uh, that, that kind of, serves to to help you do better next time so hopefully people can can hear this and avoid that situation by actually listening to that advice yeah yeah which which leads segues really well into the next one which was to have and stick to uh different race strategies so that's nutrition the main ones for me this time were nutrition and pacing um and and like you said with the hills my, my strategy for the first um you know really for the entire race was was going to be you know make sure i'm hiking all the hills and not running them and, um, and on the downhills, which I typically think is a, is a stronger area of my running, you know, hold back, especially during the beginning miles. Um, cause there was a lot of drop in the, those first you know, 30 miles, uh, make sure that I'm holding back and restraining myself from, from opening up too much and, and putting too much stress on my quads. Um, and, and I did that and that was, that was very good. And I watched a lot of people not do that <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and some of them beat me for sure. Uh, you know, so it's not like that. And some of them probably had the race of their lives as well. But I was so glad that um, that I had stuck to my strategy, that I had had a strategy and stuck with it throughout the race. Because, you know, when you're in the race, and especially when you're with other people and you watch someone else running up a hill or running hard down a hill and they just fly past you, it's hard, <laughs> not, it's not, hard not to, you know, follow along, right? I know. It's so stupid. Like, it is. There's just, there's just no reason you should that seeing someone else do that means like it's okay for you to do it, but that's how it is. That's how it is, you know? And, and so having that strategy, uh, thinking that through ahead of time and making those rules and then actually sticking to it, um, you know, that allowed me during that last quarter of the race to, to feel a lot more comfortable opening up because, you know, at that point I'd gotten that far and I was still feeling good. I still had a little bit of strength in my legs. Um, and I could push a little bit more. I, I kind of let myself, uh, open up after that. And the same went with nutrition as I, you know, I had a, a, a nutrition strategy of uh, a gel or a gummy, um, every hour, at, at least one every hour for as long as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then supplementing that with, with real food, with wraps and, and, uh, different aid station foods, um, throughout, throughout the entire run, but, but sticking with that, that gel, you know, for really as long as I could. And, I did it most of the race. I had to switch to a different type of, of, of gel after a while, but, um, you know, I was, I was able to get through it with most of the race. And even when I didn't want to, even when my stomach was, was starting to revolt. And even when I, at one point I was in the middle of the night, the, the gels were so gross that I was, I found myself putting them in my mouth and then just like chewing on them, uh, because I couldn't get myself to swallow, but, you know, but eventually I was ingesting that stuff. I I would be able to drink it down. Um, and sticking to that strategy kept me from ever having a, a 
totally major bonk where I was really in, at a calorie deficit and really trying to to make up. Yeah. So can you can you actually expand on that or give more specifics? Like just for someone who hasn't hasn't run an ultra even or or definitely not a hundred miler, you know, just like what what was the mindset there when you said you tried to eat a gel or you you stuck to eating a gel every hour for as long as you possibly could, uh, but supplemented with other food. Like what was the what was the goal there? Was it that that at the very least, even if you're not hungry and not thinking about eating other food, you're going to be getting this, you know, whatever 30 grams of carbohydrate or whatever it is in a gel um, from the very beginning of the race, that that's just going to be this kind of sort of constant stream going in regardless of what else you're eating? Yeah. So with something like an ultramarathon, really at any distance of an ultramarathon, um, but especially a hundred miler, you're, you're not going to have enough stores in your body to be able to get you through the race without taking in more, more food. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you find yourself in a calorie deficit, if you find yourself uh, with with you're burning way too much sugar uh, and not taking in anything, so if you went four hours, say, um, just using whatever stores you had from before the race, then you would be playing so much catch up um, that you would be bonking like crazy, and and you really would never be able to catch up because really you can't ever take in and process the amount of calories that you're putting out, uh, right. even even if you are taking them in constantly. Um, so you want to stay ahead of it as much as possible. And my, my rule is about two, 250 to 300 calories. I try not to worry too much about the carbohydrate to protein ratio and all that kind of stuff uh, because most of the gels and, and sports drinks and stuff like that that have calories are already designed uh, with enough carbohydrates that, um, that you don't really have to worry about those ratios. Uh, but, of course, if you are really eating real foods like fruits or, or other things, then um, you, know, you want to stick with sugary foods and, and high-carbohydrate carb- foods. But so I aim for about 250 to 300 calories an hour, and I do that from the very beginning. So, you know, I was taking a gel 30 minutes into a 25-hour race, mm-hmm. <laughs> which which right. definitely feels a little silly because you to- feel totally fresh and you're not moving that fast. Um, but if you, as soon as you, you know, as soon as you get backed up, then then you're playing catch up and, and it's a lot harder and you're going to risk bonking a lot more. So, you know, start from the very beginning and and take those gels. Um, I like to supplement with some some real foods uh, like fruit and uh, hummus wraps and and rice and um, soup and things like that that um, that have are high carb but also have some some salt and things like that and are also mm-hmm. just a little bit easier on the stomach and easier to process. Um, and pe- is that was that part of? Did you have a plan for those foods or was it kind of just like I'm going to eat those when I'm hungry for whatever from the beginning? No, I, I had a I had a pretty um, strict plan with my crew. So, um, they, at each crew spot, which, which wasn't for the first, uh, I don't know, 60 miles was only about every 15 to 20 miles. So it's not like I was seeing them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had listed out things that I wanted them to have, and it kind of depended on the day. Like I had soup, like vegetable soup for dinner. <laughs> um, I had like a, like a, a rice, a white rice and, and black bean burrito, um, for, for like a midnight snack. <laughs> um, and then, uh, for breakfast, it was oatmeal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, like that was more of just, uh, a mental type food, you know, things that I thought that I might want at that time that would be easy and, and maybe it would lift my spirits a little bit. Um, but then other than that, it was at, at aid stations, they all had fruit and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I stuck with those and, and a little bit of, uh, potatoes that were dipped in salt because just the, um, the starch and the and the salt 
tasted really good after eating so much of the sugary gels and things like that. Yeah, potatoes are one of those foods that that it seems to me like when you don't want anything, you can still manage to swallow a potato with salt on it. Like it just doesn't, you know, it's neutral enough, I guess, that you can kind of get it down even when you're really tired of, of sugar and other sorts of carbohydrate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At my lowest point, which was um, right at, at, at dawn, um, and, you know, I, I, I guess we should say that I'm saying that this race all came together and it was it was great. But, of course, you're still going to have low points and you're still going to be fighting demons uh, when you're out there. Um, but uh, so at my lowest point, which is right around dawn, I just was having trouble keeping down any, or, you know, getting down anything. But mm. the, the potatoes and, and just <laughs> they're just boiled potatoes and they have a, you know, a jar of salt that you can just like dip them in, which is <laughs> <laughs> kind of gross. And especially when you think of right. where everybody's been. But um, <laughs> but they, it was so good, you know, and, and um, the aid station was actually making like breakfast burritos with eggs and bacon and things like that. You know, of course, I wasn't going to touch any of that. But those those warm potatoes uh, tasted so good uh, and were, were perfect for me at the time. Yeah, that's that's good. I, I, that's a good. It's a good snack that actually would be good for marathon training too. It's just not, or for marathon racing. Um, it just, it's. I guess it's not the most practical of, not as easy to hand that out as as it is with, <laughs> with gels and things like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, before you go to the next one, I think what's really important here to me is you're talking about having these strategies, having this nutrition strategy, and having this pacing strategy. But it's not just having it; it's that you actually stuck to it, right? Because yeah. As we kind of said, like when you see someone else do something different and you just want to go with them, this little competitive nature that says, I don't know if it's competitive saying like, because they did it, I can do it too. Or if it's, or I'm sorry, if, if it's competitive saying like they, they're doing it, so I've got to keep up and I, I got to show, you know, just show myself that I can do that. Or if it's more like, well, if they're doing it, if someone else is doing this, then it must be safe. I, I kind of feel like it's almost more of that. Um, where it's mm-hmm. like, if you see someone else, you're like, well, they're, well, they're doing it, so I can probably get away with it too. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, I think that's something that just comes with, with racing more. And it's like, it's when you're, especially those first few races, even later, it's really hard to, when you're feeling good, it's really hard to imagine yourself feeling bad. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's just like at the beginning of a marathon a race that you're all excited. It, you might be mile 10 or 12 and still feeling good. Um, it's just really hard to imagine how bad you possibly could feel in, in an hour and a half from now. Like, it just seems like it not going to happen because you you can't really put yourself in that situation when you're feeling good everything you're experiencing is the opposite of feeling bad and it's just hard to imagine it so um i think that's what's really important is that it wasn't that you just had this stuff it was that you actually stuck to it and and no matter how much you might have wanted to to deviate maybe not so much from the nutrition plan but from the pacing uh you know you're a lot smarter before that race when when you're not in the midst of it than you are sure during it but i think so many people change their plans once the race starts uh and often for, you know, not, not with good results. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and of course the nutrition one is, it's, it's just, it can be just as hard as, um, as the pacing because you, when you are in a low point or, or if you, if you're just tired of, of eating those gels, especially, um, if that is part of your strategy, like it was mine, you know, it certainly doesn't have to be, um, then it, it can be so hard to, to get those down and to stick with it, even if you're feeling good, um, and you know, and I should I should really credit my pacers here, um, Paul and Griffin, if they are listening. Thank you. Um, uh, at, especially during the night when when I was when I was struggling to or when I really didn't want to eat that stuff, um, and and they were 
you know, just really encouraging me to do it. And, and I have to, of course, they weren't shoving it down my mouth. I had to make that decision, but I, I had to stick with, with that strategy. I had to choke down the, the, the gels. Um, and, uh, you know, I certainly don't regret doing that. Cool. All right. So there's one more, right? Yeah, one more. Uh, and this one, you know, I, we, we, we set it up as things that went right. And I think this one started out wrong, um, but I was able to kind of correct it. All right. Um, and that is to not let things out of my control get me down. Right. And I think that this is something that people struggle with with every race, uh, regardless of distance, whether it's 5K or 100 miler or whatever. If the rain or the weather is, is crappy or not what we expected, if the crowds uh, of runners are, are slowing you down because you can't, you know, maybe it's too packed during the first few miles um, and you can't, you know, start out with the pace you want. Or, or you happen to forget your, you know, your signature pre-race banana or something like that, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you get these things in your head and, and it's so hard to let them go. It's so hard to move on from that uh, and not just dwell on something that is going wrong or, or something that you weren't expecting. Uh, and that can really ruin your race. If you're in this negative mindset, then it's hard to, it's hard to get out of it and it, it, can, it can drag the entire race down. Um, and I found myself in this negative mindset about... 30 miles in, it was pouring down rain, and I knew that it was probably going... It had been raining for the past few hours. I was soaking wet. I knew that it was probably going to rain for the, much of the next, you know, 12, 18 hours. And I found myself just in this terrible headspace, just dreading the night, dreading the rain for the next... Uh, for the ne- the rest of the race. And, um, and I struggled with it for a little while. But then, I, you know, I was able to kind of snap out of it and... Every time I felt that those those kind of dwelling thoughts come back into my head, um, you know, I actively made sure that I was moving on from them and uh, and and letting them go and not not sticking with it. And we've talked a little bit about this with pain, especially um, during ran, runs. If, if something is uncomfortable, you know, understanding that it's uncomfortable, acknowledging it, um, and then moving on, and then thinking about something else, and 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 letting just letting it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it was something I was able to do, especially during the second half of the race, uh, which I think is another part of the reason why I was able to, to finish strong. Um, and, and something that I haven't always been able to do, but was able to kind of, uh, you know, handle this time. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting point. Uh, and I experienced a very, very similar thing with mine. Um, I, so I had gone into mine, not with, not with the goal of, breaking 24 hours i mean it was just like that would be a nice thing it wasn't like that's what i'm here to do um but and i was kind of feeling like i was had a decent shot of doing that and then i it had been kind of drizzling all morning uh which had kept it cool so i had to remind that myself of that later that it could have been really hot but the the fact that it was drizzling made it made it pretty nice yeah um but then i hit these this stretch of of mud you know three mile stretch just it was kind of in the valley of of the trail so all the water was there and it this three miles took an hour and a half so it was just a disaster mm. area and like after that i was like well the, there's no way now that i'm gonna do this and now i've got to think about actually finishing the race like getting done before the cutoff um so it was like really easy to to go there and and still sometimes it's like when i'm telling people about it like to, to say if not for that mud you know who knows what i could have done or what but like I've I've come to this and I did even that day. I really like you're here running a hundred mile race and you chose to run one. In my case, it was eighty percent trails, and I think yours is probably much more than that. Like we chose to do that stuff, and and part of that experience is stuff that's out of your control. Lots of stuff that's out of your control, right? Like theoretically, maybe in picking a marathon or a ten k or a five k, you might pick something that 
you're going for PR and, and if you're hoping for ideal conditions because that's kind of what it takes to PR at a distance like that. Right. Um, when you're, when you're running a hundred or really any ultra and, and in many cases marathons as well, you're kind like, that's, that's part of the, the story of the hunt, right? It's like what happened out there and what, what wasn't ideal about the conditions. Cause <laughs> you're not, you're not, you didn't pick that race because it was going to be your fastest race. You picked it cause it's an adventure and there's all this stuff. So like, what happens and what goes wrong is is totally a part of that. So it shouldn't be like you know, part uh, it become no longer part of the story. But now the separate excuse thing, like if that didn't happen, then I could have done this. Right. Um, so I think that that's a really really important point. Applies to a lot of other things as well, other than just ultra running. I mean, life in general, right? But it's really easy to dwell on stuff and blame stuff and and all this. But it, things just seem to go better when you when you kind of acknowledge it and and in some way take responsibility for it like yes i i signed up for this this is one of the risks that was part of the situation sure um and then and then you know then you're kind of empowered to 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 hopefully make the best of it yeah but that's so hard to do in the moment you know <laughs> yeah oh yeah completely hard um but you know but i think that it is something you can practice like you said it's not just something that has to do with running or, or especially not just ultra running um you know we're faced with challenges all the time in i un your non-ideal situations every day you know and and how you handle those um will help you be able to handle them better on race day all right there you go uh so that that i guess sums it up doug i think this is i think this is a good episode i think it's very cool that you've that you've gotten this distance to the point where it feels like not that big a deal to go run 100 miles because uh, that's <laughs> I crazy. wouldn't say that but <laughs> Well, it looks like it from my from oh, thank you. you know how I how I see you. So uh, I think that's awesome. Even if you're not winning, which I don't, people aren't liking that. But but <laughs> next, you can do better next time. Yeah, you know, there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted I just wanted to make sure that you know I can challenge myself next time. Good, good. All right. Well, well, you better better shape up a little bit next time. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. By the way, we are uh, working on a little pet project called the Ultra Marathon Roadmap that we haven't really announced. I don't think anywhere yet, but podcast people would would be the best people for it is the first product that you and i have done together as our own thing um so that's gonna be fun i think we're trying to get it out sometime before the end of the summer but last year we announced that health made simple would be out in about a month (laughs) and it took a full year so this this could come out in like you know the year 2025 or something uh possibly but who knows hopefully it'll be out within a few months yep no we're excited about this i think it's going to be a really cool uh, tool and a, and a nice little addition to to the off, what Nomi Athlete has to offer right now. Yes, should be good. All right, uh, thank you, Doug. This was fun. Hope everyone enjoyed it, and we will talk to you all next time. All right, take care. <laughs>